And we are live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the debut episode of Draft Capital NFL, powered by Off the Ball Network. I am your host, Mo Murphy. And with me, I got my co-host. You call him the host, and I'm the co-host, whatever respect I owe. But I got my guy, Stuart Brooken, a.k.a. Stu Pock, a.k.a. the host of Morning Brew with Stu, a.k.a. the quarterback guru over there at Off the Ball Network. But Stu, first off, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm great, man. I, I never thought I'd be uh, doing a, a draft show. I've always wanted to. I never thought I would. And I'm stoked, especially with somebody like you who has a big brain like you. There's nobody, nobody else I'd rather do it with. Yeah, I mean, so before we really get into the launch, this is something we wanted to do. We hit the draft hard last year, you know, but it never really had no real direction. We just did it on the network page, did the fun mock drafts and stuff, but you do your position rankings. We have our thoughts on the quarterbacks, you know, what teams should do. And throughout this process over the next few months and even continuing on after that, uh, gearing up for the 2023 NFL draft, you know, it, it's going to be year round draft coverage. But I mean, the launch of this was easy. It was fun. It was exciting to think about. Shout out to Steven and Chris. Uh, yeah. I definitely have to give them their flowers for basically making us create a name very easily. They are draft capital NBA. <coughs> Sorry. And they gave us draft capital NFL as you can see, it's powered by Built Bar. Make sure you go check out our sponsor, Built Bar. And before we get into the show, make sure you go, you know, we moved the website. So make sure you subscribe to offtheballnetwork.substack.com. We moved everything over to Substack a lot easier for us as a team and a lot easier for you guys because you get direct emails when content is posted from podcasts to articles to Steven and Chris's big board. Uh, Kenneth's big board, his power rankings, Jeff's power rankings, everything goes on there. And instead of having to look and think about the website, we send you an alert directly to your email. You can check it right through your email, whether it's Gmail, Yahoo, it doesn't matter. So make sure you go to offtheballnetwork.substack.com and go ahead and subscribe to us for all the wonderful content. And also, while we're at it, make sure you go to draftcapitalnfl.substack.com to keep up with everything. Stu's going to be dropping his running back rankings, quarterback rankings. Uh, all of his position rankings are going to be references on the show. So gear up for a bunch of good stuff. So, Stu, we're going to get right into it. Both of us had some thoughts. We, we pretty much felt the same way. And we're going to talk about Matt Corral, right? You know, a lot of guys opted out, decided not to play in – when you, especially when you're talking about first round picks, day one, day two, those first, second, and third round guys, especially first round picks. I'm big on first round picks. I don't believe a bowl game really changes their stock too, too much. You've seen enough film over the years. You feel how you feel about them. The next stage to impress somebody is basically, you know, the, the combine, getting them in the film room, meetings, interviews, everything like that to really see. So Matt Corral decided to play. And he hurt his ankle. Thank God it was just a sprained ankle. Nothing broke, nothing fractured. What were your thoughts the second? What was your thoughts pregame on the fact that you thought that we found out Matt Corral was playing? Listen, here's the thing. Like, everyone was talking about, like I heard it in the chat. I heard it on Twitter because Kenny Pickett, who is, depending on who you ask, the quarterback number two to Matt Corral, depending on who you ask. Matt, Mel Kuyper, I think, has him as quarterback one. We'll see where I have him coming up in a few weeks. But Kenny Pickett decided not to play, and everyone was praising Matt Corral as like a guy who this is the like this guy. He does it the right way. Like he's playing football. He's doing this. He's playing through the bowl game, even though he's going to be potentially the top quarterback off the board. And so I didn't really didn't really bother me. 
because Sam Howell, the quarterback for UNC, was doing the same yeah. thing. Like, I mean, you look at it, and like, I was like, okay, it's nothing really that big of a deal until the injury happened. And when the injury happened, from like, even then, I said, I don't think it's a good idea if you're a day one, if you're going to be a day one guy to play in a bowl game unless it's a national championship. So obviously, if the college football playoffs gets, gets expanded, that's different. But playing in like an Outback Bowl or a tor- tortilla chip bowl or whatever bowl that they have nowadays, it's not worth it. Like I get it, your competitor, I do, but it could have been real bad for Matt Corral. He could have got hurt, and he could have gone from making however many million dollars being the number one overall pick to being maybe what the twenty fifth, twenty sixth overall pick taken because they don't know about the injured ankle, like. It's risky, and I know coaches are ultimate competitive. Like They're the ultimate competitive guy, and they're not going to be like, no, don't play. But John Calipari kind of does this for college basketball. Like, he encourages his guys to go to the league, and I feel like college football coaches should really not follow John Calipari's like, approach, but be very supportive of an athlete and like kind of sit them down and walk them through both sides of this and be like, listen, here's the thing. I understand you want to help the team. You've done a great job. You've done it for three years, four years, however many years. We appreciate it. If you play, that's great. We'll, we'd love to have you. But if you don't play, your stock can't get hurt that way, I feel like. And you have a chance to change your family's future forever. Yeah. And so when Sam Howell decided to play, and I think his stock has kind of fallen, I guess you would say tremendously, essentially, right? This already wasn't a strong Quarterback draft, we were looking at uh, Keaton Slovis, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell. I guess Matt Corral wasn't the highest on everybody's board coming into the season. He was in that four to seven range preseason. Spencer Rattler was, it it was destined. Him and Sam Sam Howell was going to come head to head. One of them were going to win the Heisman. They were going to be the top two picks in the draft. And And as they dwindled down, it seemed like the quarterback class got weaker. Now Kenny Pickett's stock rises. Matt Corral has an amazing college year. His stock rises. People still are stuck on what to do with Desmond Ritter, how to really feel. And just for future reference, he's one of the toughest guys I'm going to have to evaluate on really where I see him. I have some player comparisons for him, but he's not going to be the focal point of the show today. When Stu drops his quarterback rankings, that's when we'll really get into how we feel about these quarterbacks. And even probably next week, hint to next week when we talk about the senior bowl. But I think with Matt Corral, as soon as he got hurt, it's like, this is why these guys sit. He's a first round pick guaranteed. Like he was a first round pick play or not play. Like he's going in the first round. We understand somebody's going to bite and need a quarterback. Somebody might even buy a little higher than we would. And take a quarterback. He could go top 10. He's going in the first round. I don't see a work. Now, had he broke his ankle, I think we're having a different conversation. It's just yeah. an ankle sprain. He'll be fine. Uh, he won't be playing in the senior bowl or anything like that, but he'll be fine. Had he broke his ankle, we'd be having a different conversation. But I don't think there was nothing he could have did in that game. And there's there's a lot of players that kind of took that route. We're about to get into a couple with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. But there's some guys like – Everybody's seen enough. They're waiting to see you at the combine, your measurements, you know, how you do in the film room when they get you one-on-one and they're able to talk to you, the head coach, the GM, all the scouts, you know, the personnel, they've got enough film on these guys. So I don't think Corral should have played. And then obviously for guys like us who feel like he really shouldn't have played because Sam Howell, I think could have improved his stock that he played really well, you know? So I think it was, 
important for him to play. I think Kenny Pickett made the right decision by sitting because he kind of knew, like, I could play great, but the last they seen of me, I played really well. I won the conference championship. We're not competing for a national championship. I played really well. So the last they seen of me, I've impressed. Don't leave yourself out there to get even, you know, don't even leave yourself out there to get picked apart even more. Allow them to really decide to do that in, in game film. We saw that with Justin Fields, right? Like, it was High and mighty when he played. Now, granted, he's not going to sit out. They were competing for a national championship, but it was high and mighty what he did. The six touchdowns versus Clemson after they were picking him apart prior to the playoffs. And then he didn't play well in the national championship. And it goes right back to we're going to pick the littlest of little things. So I I believe Corral should have sat. Thank God, though, that it wasn't a serious injury because, man, we'd probably be beating the table, breaking mics, you know, (laughs) probably breaking the camera right now if Corral had really had a real serious injury because we do kind of feel that way. So I, I, I want to move on. I, I had a conversation uh, last night and I was thinking about this. I've always been thinking about how to evaluate these guys as prospects. So I really want to hear your opinion first, but we're going to talk about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I think two surefire first round wide receivers, both from the university of Ohio state. Obviously I'm a huge Ohio state fan. So there's a little bit of bias of putting this topic in there. I kind of threw it in there last minute, but after having the conversation last night, about how I feel about these two prospects, I definitely wanted to get your take. So we're going to start with Garrett Wilson. What do you think about Garrett Wilson? How are you looking at him? You don't have to put where you have him in your wide receiver position rankings or anything, but Garrett Wilson as a prospect, how do you feel about him? Well, just going through my notes on Garrett Wilson, I think he has big, strong hands. And, I, you know, that's great for an, a quarterback or a receiver who's going to play with some better quarterbacks in the NFL, not saying CJ Stroud isn't that guy, but you're going to be playing with guys potentially like, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes or whoever who can really get the football to you. So to be able to catch that ball, it also helps you in like contested catch, you know, situations. Yeah. He can make those catches. He makes them on a regular basis. I've, I've watched some of his tape and there's been corners draped all over him. I've watched him reeling some catches. I think he's the better route runner. And Chris Olave, I do. I think he's also the better, you know, they use kind of both of them as a deep threat. And I really like him. He gets more open. Now, his isn't speed. His is more of like separation with his arm that mm-hmm. really allows him to get separated from the corner and then to be able to track that football and bring it in. I That's the thing, though, his speed. And then some of the negatives for him is he doesn't really have burner speed. It's good speed, but it's not great. On deep passes, he doesn't always use his hands to make some catches. It's body catches, and you kind of want to see some some hand catches because in the NFL, you're going to have to reel it in quickly and then be able to brace for the hit because everything's just faster in the league. And then I think he just needs to hit the weight room a little bit more, get a little bigger, a little stronger, and I think he'll be all right. I like him. I like him as a prospect. I don't – I like some other guys a little bit more, and we'll talk about it potentially later on. One guy is playing in the national championship this, you know, on Monday. I like him a little bit more than I like Garrett Wilson, but I I like these guys and I agree they're going to be first round picks. And everyone talks about Alabama being wide receiver. You, I think Ohio State, you know, with who they've put out lately, might be changing that course, especially with these two and in the future as well. But Garrett Wilson, I like as a prospect. I think he's a really really good guy good prospect and I think he could be a a star receiver for somebody in the league someday yeah so you said a few key words that I'll key in on after I get your thoughts now what do you think about Chris Olave because I'm gonna put my I won't say theory but my outlook on both of these guys and then we'll talk about how I feel it'll probably be debatable but 
you said some key words that go to really how I feel about both of these guys. So Chris Olave, how are you looking at Chris Olave? What are your thoughts on him? Oh, I think he's a dynamic. I think he's dynamic as a player. I think Chris Olave to me is the better one out of these two. I really do. I think he's the better receiver. Uh, just going through my notes here. He has great hands again, just like Garrett Wilson. Both of them could catch the football. Let's let's be honest, but they wouldn't be considered for the NFL draft if they couldn't. They're really, really good at getting open, catching the football, things like that. He makes fantastic open catches. I was watching the game versus Minnesota and he had a catch along the sideline. He was able to toe tap and get it in. I absolutely loved that from Chris Olave. Now, some of the things that I struggle with with Chris Olave is for a guy his size, he lacks some of the physicality, especially in blocking and run blocking assignments. Like it's not there. You want him to block a corner. And that's some stuff that I think can come with some coaching. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, doesn't make con- contested catches often. He drops him more than he does catches him at times when he's open though. He's, he's really, really good. But I think the, the contested catches for Chris Olave is the problem. And the reason I think, you know, he's not my number one guy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, you know, if there's anybody I've watched more than anything, it's it's Ohio State players, obviously. Me being a big-time Ohio State. So, I've always thought Chris Olave was better than Garrett Wilson, especially yeah. going into this year. A lot of people had Garrett Wilson uh, ranked ahead as a prospect. And it was one of those, like, I'm not seeing it. I'm so high on Chris Olave. So, here's where, and you tell me how you feel. So, when I see Garrett Wilson... You said star. You said he could be a star receiver. I agree with you, but I think he's boom or bust. I don't think there is an in-between for Garrett Wilson. I either think he becomes a star receiver, and the standard is set high for guys coming into this draft that you consider a star receiver, right? Because Jamar uh, Justin Jefferson had an amazing rookie year. Jamar Chase has topped that. Do I think Garrett Wilson is either of those guys? No, I don't. Uh, but people weren't as high on Justin Jefferson, right? Like he wasn't wide receiver one coming out of the draft and was the best receiver in that draft. I guess you could say questionably there were a lot, there were some factors as far as CD not being wide receiver number one and his quarterback going down. But I still think Justin Jefferson has showed us he is a star to stay for a long while. And then obviously we all agree Jamar Chase was just that dude. Like yeah. he didn't yeah. play last year and we all knew Jamar Chase was that dude. But when I see Garrett Wilson, Tell me if I'm wrong about Wilson. I see a lot of Corey Davis. If he because Corey Davis was expected to be a star, the evaluation was close to the same. Corey Davis went to a smaller school, but the evaluation, the things that were said about Corey Davis are very similar to things about said about Garrett Wilson. And so what I'm afraid of is his expectations are set high. And a guy like him, if he doesn't meet him, he's essentially considered a bust, right? Like, is it is it boomer bust star potential there? I listen, here's the thing with the boomer bust thing. We're going to be quick to judge because of how quick these, these wide receivers, like in years past, you mentioned like Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson, they've come out and they've balled from day one. So there's going to be a lot of quick to judge here on Garrett Wilson. If he doesn't come out and ball out week one or, or, you know, first season, if he isn't putting up 1100 yards and 15 touchdowns or whatever, everyone's going to be like, Oh, he's a bust. I, I, I like that comp. It's one that I had in mind. It's definitely one I considered. I, I think it could happen. I've, I very do. I was high on Corey Davis when he came out. I liked him. I thought he displayed a lot of the things you want in a day one first-round wide receiver. But 
yeah, I, I agree. I think he's a boomer bust product, pro, you know, wide receiver prospect. We'll see. I It's to him and for Garrett Wilson, it's going to be a lot about where he lands. And yeah. is there a veteran guy that could kind of help coach him up and really be his mentor for not, it doesn't even have to be a full year, even if it's like half a season, at least a guy he can get into training camp with, learn how to work with and get some, get some reps under his belt. But I think, yeah, I think boomer bust would be safe to say. Yeah. And I hate using the bust word because Corey Davis is a bust. If you look, if you grade him on his the expectations that you have for him coming in, yeah. he's been a, he's been a good wide receiver. He showed the flashes that he can make an impact. He's been in New York. No, you know, uh, he went to New York, no real consistent quarterback play um, in Tennessee. He, he wasn't the guy that we thought he was going to be right. So, you know, he ended up elsewhere, didn't get resigned, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's a bust. I just think we should have lowered our expectations on him coming out, especially I, I fear skill position guys coming from small schools. I really do. And I know there has been some real stars coming from small schools, but I still fear on setting that expectation. They've had a lot to prove. Not everybody is Megatron, you know, from Georgia Tech, who still played in, a, in, in the ACC, so still was playing top-notch competition. Not everybody, when the and this was when the Big East was relevant. We take it way back with Larry Fitz at Pitt. Not everybody was, you know, but he was still playing top-level competition in the Big East. I, I, it wasn't the SEC. It wasn't the Big Ten. But then, you know, Corey Davis went to a small school. So with Garrett Wilson, playing against the talent is there. Like, guys that he went yeah. up against are going to be in the NFL draft and are going to go, you know, and play at the next level. So you don't question that. But I just think the expectations. Now, when I go to Chris Olave, and I don't want this to sound disrespectful, because I really mean this in the highest regard, because I respect these three wide receivers and what they've done. Chris Olave, and, and the color thing will have people, like, I'm thinking crazy, because the skin tone of these players is different. Cole Beasley, Julian Edelman, and Wes Welker. I think Chris Olave will be a really good receiver for a team for a really long time. And then on the back end of his career, he'll turn out to like, okay, he's a plug and play guy. Hence Cole Beasley in Buffalo. He's really, he's still really good, but he was really good in Dallas. He did exactly what you need him to do. He knew how to get open, whether it was out of the slot, whether it was playing wide receiver two, opposite Des Bryant, but he was never going to be your best receiver, but that was okay because he was a pretty damn good slot slash wide receiver two guy. Same with Julian Edelman. Now, he ended up being the best receiver. And, you know, he was, but Gronk might have been the best receiver on that team, you know, in New England with Tom Brady and even with Wes Welker. They turned into their quarterback's favorite target, even though there was a guy better than them on the other side. Uh, you know, you had Emmanuel Sanders um, playing alongside, you know, Wes Welker over there in Denver. Emmanuel Sanders was the better wide receiver, but Wes Welker was just the guy that he, he, He's a, he's a, you, you get him with the right quarterback and he knows how to get open. He knows how to play wide receiver. He knows that he does everything you need him to do. May not always be a big play guy, but he's a, I can march it down the field with him. And then we have our big play guy on the outside. I think Chris Olave in New Orleans would make a lot of sense because you have, assuming Michael Thomas comes back um, and healthy and is right back to who he was prior to injury, you put him alongside a Michael Thomas. Now you can put him in the slot. Or you could put him alongside and wide receiver too, and I think he'll be really good for really long. 
Is that disrespectful with the comparisons after I gave you the explanation of why? And you can see how people would look at it crazy because Chris Olave is a black receiver and I compared him to three white receivers. But it's the style of play. I think that's the type of guy Chris Olave is uh, coming into this draft. When in my notes next to Chris Olave's name, I had possession because I think he's a possession receiver. And with that's what that's what you described with Chris Bailey or geez, Louise, Cole Beasley, my bad, and Julian Edelman, and even Danny Amendola for a while for the Patriots as well became that yeah. type of guy. Wes Walker, when it was third down, Tom Brady needed somebody to throw. You're going to get it to you know Julian Edelman or or Wes Walker or you know Danny Amendola. He's going to get that first down. Same with Cole Beasley with Tony Romo and Josh Allen. That's who Chris Olave could be. I think he could be a guy who. Is he going to take the top off the defense? Maybe not, but he's going to be a guy who on third down, if it's third and seven, he's going to run a quick five-yard out route. He's going to catch it, turn up the field, get that extra two yards, and he's got the first down. Next thing you know, you're marching down the field. He keeps the drive alive. That's what he can provide for you because he's a really, he's a really, really good route runner as well. But I, I really like both of these guys, and I agree with you as the comparisons. I was trying to think of who to compare Chris Olave to when I was going in my head. I didn't go, I didn't go the route you went, but I'm I'm glad you did because I do think it's a good comparison. And I think those that's going to be the career path for Chris Olave in the league. I think he's gonna play a very long time and be very successful. And in my opinion, if you're really, really good at it, guys like Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer. And guys like Wes Walker's a Hall of Famer, like they're gonna set a new like position kind of for the wide receiver position. Like there's going to be a position inside the wide receiver position, if that makes sense, Yeah, that was paved by guys like Julian Edelman and Wes Walker. And I think he could fit right into that role. Yeah, and it's just, it's not enough, because I think he could be the ultimate version of those guys. So it's like, well, how do you set the, because when you set the, he's a Tyreek Hill or he's AJ, clearly he's not those guys, but I'm just saying when you set that precedent, that's not a now you have these expectations that anything short of that is really where guys become bust, right? Like Trevor Lawrence was Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. And so anything short of that right away, and we forget Peyton Manning led the league in interceptions. He had a Jameis Winston type rookie year, right? But we don't think about that because of the ultimate player he became, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. Same with Andrew Luck, was like Andrew Luck's rookie year was a little shaky, not as shaky as Peyton Manning, but then he became a, a top five quarterback in the league you know, prior to his early retirement. So, but when you compare him to those guys, you think of him coming in as the ultimate version of the guys we're comparing them to instead of seeing them in their early years, watching them grow, because that's what players do. They become professionals, but they're amateurs. They're college, former college athletes or former high school athletes. These guys are kids. They come in as young men and you watch them grow in a career as men as grown men, as old men, you know, as they get to become aging vets. So you really watch them grow before your eyes, but people want to react. Everything is so reactionary in in today's, especially in the NFL with prospects. And you want to beat your chest on right or wrong in six weeks into the league. And it's like, bro, I I give quarterbacks about three years, maybe four. If you showed me like improvement in year three, I'll give you the year four for me to really feel how I feel about you. But you know, everybody's beating their chest when we go to Mac Jones and oh, I called it or or this guy or that guy. And it's like, you got to give them some time. The guy that you really loved might turn out to be the ultimate guy that you thought just took a little more time. Wasn't ready to go year one. That's very possible. We've seen guys who weren't great year one. It ended up being, you know, top notch guys, future Hall of Famers, 
multiple time Pro Bowls. And I think Chris Olave may make a Pro Bowl or two if he's in the right situation. But I just think even he could be the ultimate Julian Edelman, Cole Beasley, Danny Amendola, Wes Welker type of receiver. But like you said, it's just a possession. He knows where he's at at all times on the field. He knows when he catches how many yards he needs. It just, it's like his IQ at wide receiver is absolutely amazing. And he's a guy who came out of nowhere coming out of high school. Wasn't really highly recruited. Ohio State stumbled up on him looking at his quarterback. You know, they were at the game to look at his quarterback, stumbled up on him while they were in San San Isidro and San Diego. And now look at him. He's going to be a first-round pick. This is a guy that wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school. Ohio State stumbled on basically a star, and now he's going to be a first-round pick. So before we get into really what we want to get into, and that's really the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, we'll close out with that. Don't... We love talking quarterbacks. We could debate. You made a statement earlier that I am so surprised came from you. I couldn't believe it. But we'll talk about that in a second. We're going to talk about the prospects in the national championship. Obviously, this is the last game of the college football season. Uh, The bowl games have concluded. We've seen a lot of people impress us. But with so many prospects sitting out, there there weren't really a lot of the guys we would be looking forward to, to watching in bowl games didn't play. So yeah. we're judging them off the film and what we've seen from them all year. But we have, there's been a lot of national championships with a lot of great players. Uh, but this is one of the high, high studded national championships. I can remember when you talk about, I mean, Ohio state and, and Alabama was pretty high last year as well, but the defensive side of the ball for both of these teams is absolutely insane. When you talk about day one and day two guys, there are a bunch of first through third rounders on both teams. And then you have a couple playmakers on offense that you're looking at. So, Stu, I'll start with you. We'll go through multiple guys. So we'll go one at a time. You give me one. I'll give you one. Uh, give me one guy that that you are looking hard at uh, coming into this national championship. Uh, the one guy I'm watching is Jamison Williams. And that's because right now he's my receiver one. He's wide out one. And I, I, I'm not going to reveal the rest of the list, but two guys we just mentioned are right on his heels. So the question becomes, you know, he, he played well, and he was kind of C.J. Stroud's safety blanket once uh, Mechie went down. And it sucks that Mechie is not in there because I love John Mechie's film as well. Uh, but for Jamison Williams, I think he can be – the best receiver in his class. I want to see him do it again versus Georgia. I want to see on the biggest stage when the shot, when the lights shine the brightest, can you still be that guy? And can you be the guy that CJ Stroud may need you to be or not CJ Stroud, uh, Bryce Young needs you to be. See, I'm already looking ahead when that Bryce Young needs you to be. I, I think he can be, I love him. I think he's, you know, a very impressive deep threat. I think he's a very fluid route runner. I, I just like everything I about Jamison Williams. So to me, he's a guy, he's the guy I'm keeping my eyes on in this championship game. So my thought on Jamison Williams is I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take a hard look at him because I seen him at Ohio State. And I yeah. seen him behind Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. He was supposed to be wide receiver three, and I seen JSN come in and basically take his playing time. He was the fourth best receiver at Ohio State. Goes to a Bama team that something that we're not used to saying, but wasn't deep at the wide receiver position, was very young. They had John Mechie, but then they were very young. They had multiple freshmen. So without Jamison Williams, those freshmen play, and we see a lot of young guys see what they have for the future. 
He's a big play guy. I, I get afraid of those big play guys because I don't I don't think he's the greatest route runner. I don't think he's the greatest can open. And he's going to be tested because there's another guy, and I'll give you him in a second, but there, there's a couple guys on that defensive side of the ball that are really going to test him. And the, the, the big threat guys, you think about Tyreek Hill, you think about Deshaun Jackson, but then what about like Tavon Austin? You know, when you see yeah. the stars, the ultimate guys of the deep threat, you got to think about the guys that didn't get there, the Tavon Austins, those type of players. And so I'm afraid because of such a crazy year that he doesn't get the full evaluation because as a scout, you have to ask yourself, why at Ohio State was he not playing? Why was Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, why did JSN as a freshman come in and basically take his spot? That has to be – now, granted, you've seen Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson be elite this year. You saw – the last performance you saw with JSN is like, understandably so, going into next year, he's probably – between him and Kayshawn Boutte, those are my top wide receivers going into yeah. next year. But rightfully so, you're like, hey, this guy might be different. He And Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson both said he's better. But I still have to pay attention to the fact he was fourth on the depth chart, sometimes even fifth, uh, you know, while he was at Ohio State. So I got to be careful with him, but – if I get, I give you one before I give it back to you, Evan Neal. I am high on Evan Neal. I think he's a high possibility that the Jacksonville Jaguars really consider him. I think they're going to be battling between whether they get a guy. And you know, from last year, I'm big on protect your investment. You know, this is this is a quarterback of the future. Don't give up on Trevor Lawrence yet. He's about to get a new coach. We know the shit show that he went through all of last year between his coaching and this and that. Like, it was just a bad year. So it was really tough to evaluate him and say, like, he's not going to be successful. We can't jump on him yet and be like, ah, I don't think he's going to be successful. I think he's a bust. Not yet. Uh, I, I want an adequate coach in there, and I, I want an adequate draft class before I judge. I want ETN to be able to play, and his wide receivers weren't helping him none. Trevor Lawrence did make some amazing throws, but I'm looking at Evan Neal because I think the Jaguars are going to have a tough, tough decision, and I think this game, he's going to be so battle-tested uh, against this front seven of Georgia. Like, he's going to go one-on-one with Jordan Davis, who's another guy. You know, that's on my list. I'm sure he's on yours as well. All eyes will be on him. He's a first-round pick. But he's going to he's gonna see Nicobe, you know, Nicobe Dean on a blitz. And he's going to have to pick that up as the left tackle. And so with playing all this NFL talent in Georgia's front seven, I think he's going to be really battle tested. Everybody is going to have all odds on him because it's very possible he could be the number one pick. Like he's a top three prospect behind the two edge rushers. But because left tackle is such a value position and the team who right now has the number one pick has their quarterback of the future, at least as of right now, they got to start evaluating Do we the two most important positions. Outside of quarterback, the guy that could protect your quarterback and the guy that could get to your quarterback. So Jacksonville is going to really have to sit down and watch film. And I think they're going to use this game particularly as huge reference. If Evan Neal plays absolutely amazing and keeps Bryce Young standing upright in the pocket for that game and slows and he can't do it as an individual. But Bama has a really good offensive line, but they're going to value when they're looking. They're not looking at the freshmen or the sophomores. They're looking at the draft ready guy. And if no sacks were given up from that front seven, from his side, that's going to be highly impressive. And if I'm Jacksonville, that's going to really make me look and be like, you know what, I got, I found the guy. Just like Peeney Sewell. 
Like Detroit found the guy. We'll we'll figure out the quarterback because they traded for Jared Goff, but they're like, we'll figure out the quarterback situation later because what's more important, what's as important after we get the quarterback? Can we protect them? And so building on being able to protect their future investment wherever that may lie, whether it's in this draft, next year's draft, or whatever, whether it's Jared Goff continuing forward, they found their guy, and Penny Sewell is a dog year one. So I'm looking at Evan Neal. Who's who's the next prospect that you're really interested in seeing in this national championship? Um, before I get there, I I like that. I, I think Neil Neil was on my list as well, right behind Jamison Williams. He was number two. Um, I like him a lot. I think, like you said, there is going to be real talk. I have him as the number two prospect in the draft. We'll have it. I you know I'll have a big board or a position ranking later on, but. Yeah, I, I really, really like Evan Neal. I'm glad you went there. For me, it's N'Kobe Dean, linebacker out of Georgia. And I say that because right now it's kind of a battle between him and the kid from Utah as the who's going to be the bet, Devin Lloyd. So it's a battle between N'Kobe Dean and Devin Lloyd, who's going to be the number one linebacker in this draft class. Like we've seen everything we needed to see out of um, – Lloyd. So now the question is, can Nicobe Dean step up in the biggest game of them all and and show us why he's the number one linebacker in the league? I, I love it. I, I think this is the opportunity. This is his opportunity. He played well versus Michigan. I loved the way he played during Michigan. I went and watched, turned on the Michigan tape, and I was very impressed. He was all over the field, and he's going to have to be that way again to walk out here and Georgia win national when win the national championship because their offense isn't getting it done or stuff and been at quarterback. But Nicobe Dean to me has a lot riding on this game. And I say that as if like it's such a big drop, but he could be the second best linebacker in this league in this draft, depending on how this game works out for him. Yeah, I'm, I had him on my list. I feel like our list probably looks the same as just who says what. Uh, I had him on my list. I think it's a big deal. And I think. The comparison, I'm looking at him like Jamin Davis, right? Like, like people weren't the highest on him, but the, they seen the potential there. And I think he's that type of guy. I don't think between him and Devin Lloyd, neither of these guys are Michael Parsons, right? So yeah. I, I'm not Devin White, who yeah, I absolutely White. So I don't see a star impact player day one. Now, to be there, I still think Jamin Davis could be a really good linebacker for a really long time, uh, you know, in the future. But as far as that impact, like I don't think neither of these guys are Michael Parsons. They can prove us wrong, but I'm still high on them. I think so. When I'm looking at mine, I'm gonna go Darian Kendrick. Uh, he's probably gonna be one on one with Jamison Williams. A lot of things have changed for these DBs. We we're able to see Sauce Garner, uh, who we'll get into obviously later on. You know, in the coming weeks when we start talking about DBs, but we we were able to see Sauce Garner kind of go up against Jamison Williams. It was tough to evaluate him because, like, the numbers weren't big for Jamison Williams, but, like, the play calling was very conservative. Like, Nick Saban was like, okay, let's get this over with. Let's pound it down their throats. Pause. Uh, <laughs> but let, let's get this game over with. Give it to the running back. Let's go crazy and let's get to the national championship. And it wasn't a looking forward to. It was just like, why put all my guys in harm's way? Why put Bryce Young in harm's way? They can't stop us in the trenches, so we're just going to win this game in the trenches. You could tell. He didn't open up the playbook. He didn't let loose. He ran Jamison Williams on a couple reverses, as expected. Put you know, put your star wide receiver, get him involved in the offense, get him the ball. But I'm looking at Darion Kendrick, two interceptions in the semifinal against Michigan, possibly a one-on-one matchup against Jamison Williams. So you're talking about uh, he's not my top DB, 
but you're talking about a guy that some people could be sleeping on getting a matchup against Jamison Williams, who at the very least, he's in everybody's top five wide receivers going into this draft. Uh, whether you have him behind Olave Wilson and Drake London, another guy we'll get into later on. But, um, you know, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at, is he going to be one-on-one? Uh, is Georgia going to allow him to accept the challenge? Not everybody plays man-to-man, and that's okay uh, because not everybody has this notion that if you don't travel and follow the best receiver, you're not a dog. But, like, you do – like, most are cover twos and cover one with the safety over the top when you do play man-to-man. So there's not – everybody's not Jalen Ramsey in the league, okay? Like, that's something we have to understand. So it's not a knock, but they allow him to accept the challenge and follow Jamison Williams, you know, after coming off that big performance against Michigan. I think his draft stock could go very high, and he starts getting in that Sauce Gardner conversation, who is my cornerback one. Uh, coming out of this draft. So I'm really high on Darian Kendrick. So we'll go one more each. So I'll toss it back to you. We'll talk about one more prospect each. Who's your next prospect that you're looking at in this game? Um, There's several ways I want to go here. I could say Jordan Davis wouldn't be a bad choice. I could say Christian Harris, linebacker from Alabama, wouldn't be a bad choice. But I'm going to go with a guy who I think has kind of risen up here lately, and that's James Cook. Dalvin Cook's little brother at Georgia. Um, I, again, I'm right. I'm in the middle of writing my running back article. I'm a newsflash. He's not in it. He's not in the top five. But I think come Monday, depending on what kind of game he plays, I may have to like, you know, be like, uh, I was wrong for not putting him in there because I think he provides everything you want in a running back. It's just I haven't seen it long enough, I guess, from him to be the guy that I could put my top five as a running back, but this could be the game where we look at and say, we got to take James cook a little more seriously. So James cook is a guy who I got my eyes on as well. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And like you said, sometimes guys just haven't done it long enough, but then like you see guys pop in enough games, get it going at the right time. Trey sermon, who probably would have been like, you know, not looked at, he would have been a day three kind of guy. Uh, and ends up going day two in the third round to San Francisco. Granted, hasn't really had the most successful, but them last couple games that you've seen from him at Ohio State, he played absolutely amazing, and his stock, you know, rose big time. So you said uh, Jordan Davis, but, you know, I do love my skill positions. I do love my corners. I do love my wide receivers. You mentioned Jamison Williams. So I'm going to mention the guy who really was expected to be the best wide receiver in this class prior to injury. That's George Pickens. Um, I think if he has a good game, he doesn't need to have a big game. I think scouts are really at this point just looking on film. Is he healthy? They're going to be able to evaluate that in the combine, and they know what he could do. We saw flashes, but then it's tough to be a Georgia wide receiver right now because they've never really had great quarterback play. So at the same time, you're like, you know, he's an elite talent, but he's he's not able to show it the, the way we think. For the simple fact, like he's just not having great quarterback play. Stetson Bennett, you know, JT Daniels, it's it's all been kind of inconsistent. Um, but I am I'm look I am looking at George Pickett's just can he take advantage of this defense? There's a couple, you know, defensive backs on the other side of the ball that if he makes some big plays and had, you know, he had a couple of good catches um against Michigan, but he if he's able to just show that he's back healthy and really fully recovered from that torn ACL. Yes, he's played. I still don't know if he's fully healthy, but if he's able to show like he's pretty much fully healthy, be 100% by combine, I think everybody will go back to evaluating George Pickens, how they looked at him after his monster freshman year. And, you know, prior to him tearing his ACL last year, I think he could be that sleeper guy that he goes somewhere late first, 
early second round, but he has one of the most productive careers because, you know, prior to the ACL injury, he was a star. And people forget about him. You know, he was a star. So we're here. We're, we're towards the end of the show. We're going to close it out with a bang. You know, Stu loves his quarterbacks. I love my quarterbacks, wide receivers, and DBs. Everybody knows this. And we're going to get you to where our mindset is going into next year, how we're evaluating these guys. Uh, but this is one and two. These guys are, my opinion, 1A and 1B. So before I give you the floor, Stu, I, I, this looks very similar to last year. To me, this is Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Not style of play, but how we look at these guys as quarterback prospects. I easily think this is one and two. Uh, had you talk, said this a year ago, you would you would assume it'd be Bryce Young and DJU. Um, but he he had an underwhelming season at Clemson. So he's going to have to have a big year to boost his stock way back up because this was like another gifted guy. Could have been, could be better than Trevor Lawrence. Could have a better career at, at Clemson. And we just did not see that at all. It was just a struggle town over there in Clemson. Uh, but this is Bryce Young and CJU. I mean, and CJ Stroud. And this just reminds me of Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields all year. It's going to be, you're going to be watching both of these guys and week in and week out, your mind's going to change who's better. Uh, I know a lot of guys are higher on Bryce Young and I almost think there's a little bit of bias there by just giving Bryce Young the, he, he's coming off the Heisman as well. Um, right. You know, does rightfully so I, I guess we could dispute that on another time, but he, he's, he's the Heisman winner, but it's almost like he's the fan favorite right now. But you can't look past how C.J. Stroud has played. Like, but because he struggled early, essentially, Ohio State wasn't looking as potent on offense as we expected with Stroud and the wide receivers. They were almost putting up meaningless numbers that lost to Oregon early. Hurt uh, for the simple fact, even though he threw a whole bunch of yards, it didn't result in a W. So people found it as a meaningless performance, essentially still throwing for over 400 yards. I think this is just Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Stu, what do you think? It's one A one B. I and last year, or I feel like in that Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields draft, it was that year pretty much. It was that way all year, and then I think Lawrence kind of got a gap on Justin Fields through the Indiana game and the Northwestern game for Justin Fields. But I still felt if you took Justin Fields to me, if you took Justin Fields, and you said I like if the Jags would have been like. We're taking Justin Fields. I would have been a little shocked, but I'd been like, hey, I get it. Like, I love everything that Justin Fields does. It's going to be 1A, 1B all year. These guys are going to be swapped in, swapped out. I like C.J. Stroud a little bit more than Bryce Young. I think Stroud's throw – I'm a big throwing motion guy. I, I love throwing motions, and I think it is just so pure from C.J. Stroud. It's effortless. The ball leaves his hand, and – it like hits the receiver in no time. Like if you blink, you're going to miss it. Like it's so effortless as to how far it gets down the field, how altogether his motion is. There's not a part that's lagging behind at any point, his hips, his arm, nothing. It's all together as one point. His arm kind of works as a slingshot for where the rotation comes from. And the ball kind of just goes there, which makes it so effortless. And I, I love CJ Stroud. I think his playmaking ability is out of this world. And when you say somebody's quarterback one, someone's quarterback two, everyone loses their mind and they think you don't like the guy at quarterback two. No, I, I love both of these guys. And if 
next April comes along and someone takes Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud, if C.J. Stroud is still my number one guy at the end of the year, I'm going to be like, I don't blame you. I, you know, who knows? That's probably a good decision. But yeah, one A, one B. I'm with you. And I think I think when you watch watching Stroud, if you're struggling on really fully committing to him. Watch, rewatch the Rose Bowl, right? Like you, you clearly you watched it and, and you're you are in love with Stroud. But anybody who's like ball placement, you love you love throwing motion. I love ball placement. Ball that placement is, where is you put the two. ball is always key because yeah, you 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 have a we've had so many guys in especially at Ohio State who were great college quarterbacks that you just kind of watched and knew they weren't going to be NFL prospects. But what I like about him is that. He's in the pocket. He's He doesn't kill you with his legs like Justin Fields did where he was a triple threat, you know, in the run pass option with the crossing routes and everything that we went, how complex the offense was because of his running ability. CJ Stroud is in the pocket. He, he's in the pocket. He makes the throws from the pocket. He extends plays, but doesn't commit to the run enough for a defense to really change the way they play defense. They're not afraid of his legs, which Bryce Young, I think, is the same way. Nobody defenses don't fear their legs, which makes what both of them have done throwing the ball even more amazing because we're starting to see guys, the Lamar Jackson type, even the Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow can escape the pocket and make plays with their legs. It says both of these guys don't commit to making plays with their legs. They will if they absolutely has to, but it is a truly last resort um, for them to really run across that line of scrimmage and make a play. But then CJ Stroud kind of shut everybody up, got a key first down late in the game with his legs. Uh, he went ahead and ran for it, but he's prided himself on not being a running quarterback. He's like, if I wanted to run, I would have played running back. He said it when he's he's been asked the question. So he does, and I think both of these guys are amazing prospects. I think C.J. Stroud is going to have a big year. I think numbers-wise, Stroud will impress you more because I think that Ohio State offense is going to be more explosive than that Bama offense. I think with how I've looked at Ohio State and struggled with the run game, I think they're going to rely on the pass again because Stroud's numbers has been absolutely insane. I mean, you look at, they both had an amazing performance the week when Stroud played against Ohio, uh, Michigan State, but he only played the first half. Bryce Young had 506 touchdowns, but he played the full game uh, going tick for tack against Arkansas when C.J. Stroud had 320-something, uh, 340-something in six touchdowns in a half, not to compare who had the greater game. I'm just saying like if CJ Stroud plays the whole game, he at least puts up those yards. And we imagine he got, he repeats that performance because he had Michigan state in a blender. So I'm really high on both of these guys. And I think this is going to be your quarterback rankings. I really think with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud may change weekly or bi-weekly who you have. Number one, like if one didn't take advantage of the bad matchup and the other had a great game. I could see you flip-flopping because that's how you look at them. They're so close that by the week, it could change. Two week, two great weeks CJ Stroud has, he jumps Bryce Young. Uh, if Bryce Young is your number one guy coming in. But then after that, Bryce Young has a great three-week stretch. He's back at number one. We're coming into the final stretch of the season, and they're neck and neck, just like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were. We didn't have enough games last year uh, to really get to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields competition quarterback competition from other teams' experience the way we wanted to because the Big Ten only played six games. Clemson played 10. You had more tape on them. The numbers were better. Um, even though Trevor Lawrence had like one or two bad games, he still had eight more games, you know, to, to look absolutely amazing where you saw the Indiana game and you saw the Northwestern game and it was like, bro, there's only four more games in that Clemson game. 
that we can evaluate you on, evaluate you on. And so I think that's where Justin Fields lost a little bit. They decided late in the draft process to really start picking them apart. Um, but that is what it is. So on our way out, Stu, we're gearing up for the senior bowl next week. We're going to be talking about these senior quarterbacks. Uh, we're going to really get into the quarterbacks. We got Kenny Pickett. We got Malik Willis. Uh, we got Carson Strong playing next week. We got Sam Howell in the Reese's PC Senior Bowl. So, Stu, before we close out, just give me some thoughts, uh, some things to look forward to that people have on, on some of your feelings of uh, what you're paying attention to going into the Senior Bowl. The Senior Bowl, I think, is more of a – because guys like Kenny Pickett and – Carson Strong, like there's so many of these quarterbacks, they want to get reps, they want to see how they're going. So they they're only going to get like a quarter, a quarter and a half, maybe a series. Each one of these guys are. So there's a little bit less to you know really kind of scout the Senior Bowl. I use the combine more than I do the Senior Bowl, to be honest with you, right. as to you know how I measure these guys. Where the Senior Bowl comes in is, can you learn a playbook on the fly, Sean Payton? for New Orleans, who's going to be in need of a quarterback. Depending on what happens with Jameis and the surgery and stuff like that and how they feel about Jameis. Um, he did He did this thing where every week he would switch up the playbook. He would, have a, he would have a game plan going in, and then on the fly he would switch it. And so that's what it's going to be in the Senior Bowl is how quickly can you pick up the playbook and take what the coach is telling you and apply that to the field because that's going to be the difference in the NFL between you being successful and not successful. And guys like Carson Strong who played at a smaller school, guys like, you know, Malik Willis who played at Liberty. The question becomes, did you really run a pro style offense? If you didn't, how quickly can you pick that up? How quickly can that reputation come in or repetition come in? Shall I say where you can be really, 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 really good and processing and be like, Oh, there's the whole hit it. Those are going to be the things quarterback-wise I'm looking for. Kenny Pickett as well, but not as much for him because I think his slot is pretty much proven. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, this is a good time to pay attention to the quarterbacks. I think senior bowl practice will be something Mm -hmm. that we'll be paying attention to. You just you get to see the throws. It's not real live action, but even in the senior bowl, I mean, unless somebody just plays absolutely abysmal, multiple turnovers, just can't throw a guy open. Uh, it won't change. You'll be waiting for the combine to see these guys, but I'm not as high on the combine uh, when it comes to quarterbacks. Outside of hearing how the meetings go, how the sources report, how the interviews go, how they feel about them watching film, breaking down film, I'm not so high on watching these guys throw to open receivers in the open field, no pads on, no pressure. You know, that Zach Wilson back foot throw that that poised everybody to say like, oh my God, this is, his stock stock is going to rise. All those quarterbacks in that draft could have made that. But I think I think something you could tell in the combine that maybe you can't tell in the game necessarily would be arm strength and how yeah. the ball leaves the quarterback's hand because a receiver can make a, a quarterback look good in a game. But when they're telling you, here's a 15-yard post route, you need to hit him when he gets to the 20-yard mark and it needs to be on the dime, does the receiver have to adjust to come back to it in a yeah. combine when there's nobody there? If that's the case – we need to reevaluate your arm strength. Like it's those things I look at and I kind of, you know, really focus in on is did he lead the receiver or if this was a game with the receiver been killed, had that ball been thrown? Yeah. I mean, definitely. I just, you know, the full evaluate, like, bro, I, yeah. I'm big on film. Like yeah, what yeah, these yeah. guys do, you see guys tendencies and what they do uh, mm-hmm. live action. That that's the best evaluation Agreed. when guys are coming at you, when the pressure's on you. 
Um, so Stu, this has been an amazing show. Yeah. I, more to come. Who knows? We might start doing this every day at some point. It has <laughs> been so fun. Uh, our schedules don't call for that, but even still, it just sounded good to say. So, Stu, before we get on out of here, just let everyone know where they can follow you. Um, you know what I'm saying? And any future projects. And, you know, this is us. We're going to have a bunch of guys on the network, but but this is it. Your host and co-host of Draft Capital NFL. So, Stu, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at, at StuPock5 on Twitter or at Stu Morning on Twitter as well. as the podcast link is Stu Morning. That's the uh, Morning Brew is Stu Twitter. I usually post all, all my, like, so when I do the rankings, I usually post it to the podcast one first and then share it on my um personal one it'll be going on the draft capital podcast twitter first and then shared on my other two uh you can expect the running back rankings to come out this weekend on off the ball network.substack.com um and an image to follow so you can that way if you don't want to read the article you can at least see who i have where i do suggest reading the article because i do explain why i have guys there that way you don't just come at me at twitter when you see it and then you're like ah and it's like well maybe you should like look at the reasoning first but yes, um, I do. I have that coming up. And then next week I have the quarterbacks done. Um, I've had them done for a while, but the question is now, do I want to, cause the quarterbacks kind of what everyone waits on is, yeah. is looking forward to. So do I, do I want to give them the, the present now or do I want to wait a little bit, keep them drooling and keep them guessing. I'll, I'll make my decision this weekend as to if next week I want to release the quarterback rankings or not. Okay, yeah. I mean, you know I'm looking forward to it. That'll be a focal point. All your position records will end up being a focal point uh, of the show. That's going to And then we're going to give a lot of love. They're not on his position rankings. Don't be, you know, don't be worried. Your your favorite prospect will get talked about. Guys that aren't on the list will get talked about. Uh, I don't like to fully focus on the stars because that's what everybody's talking about. Everybody's talking about the number one guy is position, the number three guy is position. We're going to dive deep. That's what's going to make Draft Capital NFL special here at Off The Ball Network. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Mo underscore Cheese 15. Make sure you go follow the Twitter at Draft Capital NFL. And make sure you go subscribe to offtheballnetwork.substack.com as well as draftcapitalnfl.substack.com. We're going to be doing this weekly, at least once a week. Uh, we might have some random thoughts that we put out on our Substack. Just little five, six-minute recordings, clips. Uh, of how we feel if, you know, an idea popped in our head, our, our, our uh, schedules don't match up, but we will be doing this once a week. Uh, we'll figure out if Thursday is going to be a regular thing. Stu calls games and stuff. So, you know, I got to fit things around his schedule, but if Thursday could be the regular thing, we'll, we'll know better and be able to make that announcement uh, next week as far as what. The so stay tuned on Twitter for that announcement. Yeah. Make sure you stay tuned on Twitter. We'll be able to let you know by next week, by next week's show, when it'll happen. And probably the day that it happens will probably be the consistent day, consistent time uh, moving forward. But I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening. If you're tuning in live, thank you. If you're listening on Substack, thank you as well. And if you're checking this, you know, uh, video recording out later, I appreciate you as well. Give us comments. Give us your thoughts. Let us know how we did, where we can improve. This is the first episode of Draft Capital NFL. So we'll only be getting better by the week. Uh, but we appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Shout out to everybody. Peace.